I would like to welcome Professor Anthony Litai from the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute at Harvard Medical School, United States, President of the Society for Functional Precision Medicine. Thank you very much for accepting our invitation. Thanks a lot for having me. At the recent AACR annual meeting, you chaired a session on functional precision medicine in oncology. Can you explain to us what the functional approach means in precision medicine? Sure. I think it's worth considering what the real fundamental meaning of precision medicine is, and that is to match patients with cancers with the drugs that help them. You can imagine a lot of ways of developing all sorts of information about a patient's cancer cells, but unless they actually drive you towards choosing a drug for that patient, you're really not doing what I would call precision medicine. So we've become aware that uh, many patients are left unserved or get no benefit out of genomic precision medicine. And I can discuss that a little bit later. And we think that there's a really important opportunity that has largely been left untapped. So a cell is a very complicated system. And we know from all sorts of other branches of sciences that in complicated systems, you can get a lot of information, not just by taking a snapshot, but by poking or perturbing it and then seeing what happens. And for functional precision medicine, the most relevant perturbation is to take the cells that you wanna kill and expose them while they're alive to all the drugs that you're interested in and basically measure something intelligent that tells you whether that drug is likely to work. So several years ago, I became, because of some drug development programs I was interested in, I became very involved in trying to figure out why we don't do more of this. It's such common sense. You could just take anyone on the street and say to them, uh, if I wanna figure out if this drug works on this tumor cell, should I put them together and see what happens? And everyone is gonna say, of course, everyone except a cancer biologist because that really fell out of favor for the last 20 years or so. So I began to notice that there were a couple, I don't know, a dozen or so laboratories around the world who are getting interested in this. Everyone had their different motivation and different methods, but the one thing everyone had in common is they were taking live patient cancer cells and putting actual drugs on them and then measuring something and then seeing how well this predicted response. And to me, it was astonishing how well all these methods worked. Uh, so what I call functional precision medicine is simply the act of taking a patient's living cells exposing them to drugs, and then measuring something that predicts actual in vivo or clinical response. And what can functional precision medicine add to current patient management in oncology? Where can this new piece fit into the big puzzle of diagnostic and therapeutic options? I think it can add a lot. Uh, I think it's quite unfortunate that the term precision medicine is nearly synonymous with genomic precision medicine. And I think that's unfortunate because if we limit ourselves to genomics alone, we're really tying one hand behind our back in attempting to fight these cancer cells. It's also, I think we need to be honest and sober and, and realize that genomic precision medicine probably hasn't lived up to what we might have expected 15, 20 years ago. 15, 20 years ago, we were flush with the victory of Gleevec or imatinib in CML dramatic, absolutely life-changing drug for patients with chronic myelogenous leukemia. No doubt about it, that is genomic precision medicine at its best. But it's hard to identify in the subsequent 20 years, it's hard to identify other examples that are as life-changing as imatinib in CML. 
Indeed, if you look at larger trials of patients with refractory tumors and so forth, and in the United States, at least everyone, not everyone, everyone is eligible to get genomic precision medicine testing in that situation. The percentage of patients who benefit is in the single digit percentages. It's a very small percentage. You wouldn't guess that because we're often seeing the success stories and that doesn't mean they don't exist. There certainly are success stories of a patient with a mutation in this gene and they get a drug and it helps them a lot, great. However, most, the vast majority of patients are left unserved by purely genomic, genomic methods. So what we view is a future and I'm confident this is the future. Now that technology has caught up with uh, uh, the great number of drugs in uh, cancer. Uh, we now have methods, not just my lab, but the group that I work with at Society of Functional Precision Medicine. We have methods where we can test very rapidly the effect of drugs on patient living tumor cells. And the data that is developing is very exciting that these in vitro signals, these ex vivo signals, correlate very well with in vivo activity of these drugs. The information that we get out of these functional assays is so actionable because we're using the actual drugs we're interested in. It's not like a genomic test where you might find a mutation in the genes and then you need to read the tea leaves to figure out is there some drug that might pluck the strings of that same pathway and, and it gets very complicated very fast. Whereas in functional precision medicine assays, we're saying, does drug X work on this tumor? And if the answer is yes, Will we readily have a therapeutic strategy for that patient? Give them drug X. What are the challenges of the application of functional precision medicine? Well, diagnostic paradigms in oncology are almost universally applied to fixed dead patient tissue. Uh, so tissue custody is a major issue. If you look at biobanks, clinical trial designs, Almost all of them are relying on tissue that is snap frozen or fixed in formalin or otherwise destroyed for the purposes of a functional test. I think this thinking has to change. There is so much actionable information that can be obtained from a living cell, perturbing a living cell, that uh, we need to change the mindset so that prospectively people in designing, and this includes pharma, in designing clinical trials we'll have biobanking protocols that include living viable cells, not just killing the cells. And it, this, is, this seems like quite a challenge to begin with, but I always like to remind people, every biopsy, every resection starts out living and viable. It is we who kill it. We don't have to kill it. We can instead store it in a viable fashion or study it immediately, study it fresh. So I do think tissue acquisition is one of the primary challenges of this. Then I think another challenge, and this is one of the reasons I'm talking to you today, is just the awareness that this is not some fringe uh, uh, assay performed by you know scientists who don't know what they're doing. Very serious scientists and clinicians are doing these assays uh, uh, employing the results and actually showing pretty good results. So I want to spread uh, sort of visibility uh, and availability of these types of assays so that patients can start to uh, uh, use them. And I really do look forward to the day, and this is, this is truly my vision of the future, where this will be a routine for patients who have, especially patients who are in a situation where there's no standard of care option available for them, it'll be as routine as the microbiology testing that we use to this day in 2023. If you have a bacterial infection, we don't 
sequence the bacteria to see what to do. The gold standard is to take the bacteria, grow it up and expose it to all the drugs and see which work best. And that's what I see as the future for uh, functional precision medicine and cancer. This is our future and the dream, but where do we stand now in the clinical practice? So right now in clinical practice, there are scattered laboratories doing this, mainly in the United States and in Europe. Uh, there's some prominent efforts that I'm aware of in Asia, I'd say especially Singapore at National University of Singapore. Uh, we, at the meeting, I was very intrigued to meet some people also from India and other Asian countries that are employing this. But right now it's very scattered. And these efforts are largely struggling for visibility and indeed viability, because uh, we need to, uh, I think for this ever to work, it has to be commercially viable and commercial entities need to be able to raise money. Some companies have raised money for it and that's great. We need, we need more of that. So right now it's a relatively scattered approach, but there are some really good, I'll, I'll take the examples of this session that I led uh, at, at, a, at um, ACR. So for instance, Pam Becker, uh, at, uh, at City of Hope, at, this is in the United States, has several clinical trials where she's employing these very commonsensical, straightforward functional precision medicine strategies to actually assign patients to therapies. Alana Welm at University of Utah is doing something very similar with a focus on breast cancer patients. In a great prospective trial, Philip Staber at University of Vienna is actually randomizing patients um, with advanced blood cancers to either functional precision medicine is one arm, genomic precision medicine is another arm, and then physician choice is a third arm. So this is a very, very rare and very important trial where patients are actually randomized to three different diagnostic strategies, not three different therapeutic strategies. This is called the EXALT-2 trial and is accruing right now uh, in Vienna. Thank you very much for the conversation. And uh, let's hope that uh, our interview also helped the visibility of the project. Great. I hope so too. Thank you. Thank you very much.